Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where this week, Trish is back from Vegas, and the whole story of the season has just been broken up, like so many March Madness brackets. What's March Madness? Well, I was going to say, I almost made it sound like I knew where like, I cared about March Madness. There's, th- th- there's madness in March? I don't understand. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sport ball. L- like I said, I almost made it sound like I cared. Nah. <laughs> so we're going to talk about my trip to Vegas? It depends. I can discuss all manner of things that happened in Vegas. I know, but there's only a few things that people would actually be interested in. You know, there's a giant sign in the Vegas airport as you're... There's a lot of them. Shut up. Listen to me. (laughs) There's a sign as you pass through security and you're headed towards your gate. There's this giant sign that says, what happens here stays here. And I turned to my friend that I was traveling with and I said... I think that needs to to be rewritten to what happens here leaves all your money here. Well, actually, no. Nowadays, it needs to be what happens here stays here unless you've already posted on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) At which point, yeah, you're out of luck. Yeah. And there was probably a lot of that. Um, I was there for four days. Mm -hmm. And so I pretty much did my best to stay on East Coast time, which required that I get up. You know, three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, Vegas time every day. And so I would wander down to the edge of the casino floor and watch whatever walked past. And there are some um, creative outfits that occur in Vegas. Yes, there are. It, it's almost like St. Patrick's Day in Cleveland. <coughs> Except there's more green. There's more clothing on St. Patrick's Day in Cleveland. It can be cold. I don't know about that. It can be cold. Um, between the shoes that appeared to be unwalkable inable, and yeah, it's a word. I made it up right now. And skirts that looked like belts. And then I don't know what goes on with men's fashion in Vegas because there's a various levels of wife beater tanks and roughed up horrid looking jeans to men that wander around in sport coats at 4 o'clock in the morning. I don't understand. Well, you know, i got to point out that, yes, you went to Vegas and you did your best to stay on East Coast time. And then you came back from Vegas and you put yourself on some kind of bizarre mix of East Coast and West Coast time <laughs> where you get up at 4.30 in the morning and then you go to sleep at 7 in the morning. Well... I haven't figured that one out. I don't know how that works. Well, this morning I had a very good excuse. I woke up with a massive sinus headache. Okay. It was was not because I was ready to stop sleeping. It was because I hurt too bad to sleep. Um, The change of weather is killing me here. Yeah. Okay. Um, But, yes, I'm on a weird, funky schedule that eventually I hope to sort back out. But these three-hour time differences are tough. Yeah, especially when you're, you're flying through them. It, 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 you know, it's one thing if you're doing a drive and it's one a day, and we've done that a few times. Um, but the flying, it, it, it's, it's rough. It is. You know, short period of time, you're running a mile a minute. Of course, so much of the convention I was at was in the hotel. I was walking five to six miles a day and never leaving the hotel. That's pretty skillful there. Um, did you go check out the Ferrari dealership? I did not. Oh. Um, did pass the Aston dealership, though. And you didn't, like, get me anything? No, they had no cars in the lot. That's odd. It was very weird. Um, it was. It was very weird. Drove by, saw the Aston sign. I think it was an Aston Bentley dealership. Mm. And I think they had two cars in the front lot. And there were a few in the showroom floor, but that was it. Hmm. I was really surprised. Um but, yeah, after I got done, I presented at this conference. So after I got done with my little piece of the presentation, uh, one of the guys that I was I was there with said, well, what's next? What are you going to do next? And I looked at him like, fresh air. I just need to be outside <laughs> of this room for a while. And so that's what we did. We, we stepped outside and braved the Well, masses. you know, I, I guess that's the, the comparison there between Disney World and Las Vegas. 
is Las Vegas is a fantasy world that's all indoors, and Disney World is a fantasy world that's mostly outdoors. Well, there is that. There definitely is that. Um, you add the debauchery that is in Vegas versus um, the wholesome princess lands that are in Disney. I mean, you might have some differences. Well, yeah. But you know what really kind of, I mean, I know these are things that make me become very old. But I saw children running around at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure that they were just as much on weird time lags as I was. Um, but you saw them also up at, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night. I went to see the Blue Man Group show. Mm -hmm. And all around us were kids, you know, six-year-old kids, three-year-old kids, um, and the show, we had tickets for the nine o'clock show. It got out at 1130. And I'm like, these kids should be like in bed. And well, you know, Vegas, it, it, it's got that weird kind of schizophrenic personality to it. And some of it, it was the change in the marketing campaign that they did in the 90s, mm -hmm. where they went from being trying to market themselves as the party town of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas to being trying to push themselves off as a very family-friendly destination. And that's where you saw um, expansions over at Circus Circus, and you saw Excalibur, and, and more of these themed hotels start showing up. And then... There was a change out in the leadership in Vegas, and they said, yeah, you know, we really want to go back to the old party days, and what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas has come back. But to some degree, it also hasn't completely lost the desire to attract families too, which is really weird. You know what absolutely blows my mind about the Vegas experience is you know what? You and I have traveled mm -hmm. fairly extensively, and we've traveled with a child. And what amazes me is that none of these mega hotels, mega resort mm -hmm. places have embraced this idea of a children's club. It was something they used to do in Atlantic City. I've never been to Atlantic City in my entire life. I only life, heard about it because I hadn't been there either. But I am stunned that they haven't – because they have embraced this whole idea of let's create a resort that will keep you in our resort mm -hmm. and meet every one of your needs. That And so you spend all of your dollars within this one building. Yeah. And let's do that and keep it going for a very long time. Um, But yet you've got – this entire market of families that are bringing their kids, the kids really and truly, there are such limited things for the kids to do. Well, you know, I think the concern is, unlike, say, on a cruise ship, unlike at a resort hotel that is not in somewhere like Vegas, where there isn't as much to go, somewhere it's a bit more rural, is that the concern is you turn around and you say, okay, our hotel offers a kids club for our guests so that as an adult you can go out and party and do whatever and let loose. And the concern is what happens when parent doesn't show up or parent goes on 24-hour or 48-hour or 72-hour bender. At least if you don't offer those services, you still force a parent, to some degree at least, you force a parent to maintain responsibility for their children's while they're, during their stay. Their children's? You know what I mean. <laughs> well, I understand that piece, but I honestly think that there could be, I mean, there are very, very strict rules around the, the kids' programs within mm -hmm. Um, cruise ships and other places and I think honestly they could come up with something where there's a check-in point at every few hours um, you know the technology is such that you could put GPS locators on the parents you know put it on their wrist yeah be able to reach out and touch them um, you know if you leave the hotel you forfeit your ability to do this all of those things that you know a wristband with a GPS in it would be able to let them know, you know, did they leave? Did they? What did they do? Where are they? They could be monitored that way. I mean, those security systems in Vegas are um, impressively incredible. Yeah, and that's so, only what you can see. 
Right. And yeah, and there's only a certain amount of that that's in, in front of people. There's enough to remind people that there is security, but there's an entire world behind the scenes, and we all mm-hmm. know that. So I'm just surprised that no nobody has really embraced this idea of, hey, let's take your kids off your hands for a couple of hours so that you can go spend lots of money in our casino. Yeah. Because um, it's not like the kids can go sit at the slot machines with mom and dad. That That tends to be discouraged. So, I mean, there's that piece too. So, that was that was sort of my trip in, to Vegas in a nutshell. Um, I will say this: going from it snowed over the weekend to 80 degree weather was kind of nice. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. There, <laughs> um, it was a bit jarring to the system. Um, apparently, and I don't know if you know this, Vegas is in a desert. It was dry, very dry. Yes, very much aware of that from the many times I've been there. Well, you've been there more than me. Yeah. Um, so. So that was – I have returned. So in between all of this or just before you depart, however you want to figure it, there was a race. Well, that happened before I left. Yes. Um, that we just barely, from what I have heard, uh, missed out on having a wet race. They they got it in before the rain, so I guess moving that part up helped and – uh Made conditions a little better, at least, you know, for the cars that were able to continue running. Well, I think Bernie was probably very upset that there was not a wet race in Malaysia. Yes, I know. That's his preference. Um, But when it came to cars not running, once again, McLaren didn't finish. Well, they didn't. Not once again. They finished last race. Well, if you compare that to their winter practice. Yes. Yeah. Um, But both cars were out there. Uh, They were... At the back of the grid, because we like to start at the back of the grid. Um, Still at the back of the grid. Although the word that has come out is that uh, Fernando showed absolutely no signs of injury. He was out there running. Um, Although his car was the first to die on him. Yes. Um, Jensen's did a little later. But overall, this was not the um, tail-dragging pace of Australia. Well, it was not tail-dragging. In fact, I believe you have a clip from Jensen. Yeah, we got some communications from Jensen before he ended up retiring back to the pit. I'm a little bit surprised. We uh, seem to be catching cars, quite a few cars. Now, granted, it was th- these were cars that were being held up by Perez. It was a chain of cars, but still... They were dicing it up with the field. It was the back of the field, but they were dicing it up with the field, and it wasn't just manner that they were dicing it up with. No, they actually went wheel-to-wheel quite a bit with uh, Force India. Again, because yes. they did that in, in uh, Australia too. Um, Eric Boulier believes that they probably actually have the pace on the Force Indias if they can finish, but they've got to figure out this reliability issue. Apparently, they did not run the cars uh, detuned like they did in Australia. So that's the question of – I'm assuming the increased performance is because they, they ran them closer to full power. They just need to figure out this reliability issue. Now, it could be a heat issue that because it was so hot in Malaysia and maybe we'll see a little better in China. I don't know. But, hey, there, there's progress. We have progress, and I think that they're making progress a little bit faster than they're predicted. We'll have a better car in Barcelona. Well, that's what they, they still stick to. So we'll see what happens. Now, speaking of the back of the grid, our dear friends at Manor. Yeah, ha- have have you reached out to them about a sponsorship deal yet? Well, I offered them 25 bucks, and apparently that's not enough. Okay, I, I think we can go up to 30 Okay, uh, I'll reach out again. Okay, for the season, not not per race. I mean, let's not get silly <laughs> Let's here. not get crazy. <laughs> well, apparently, Mary, um, their Brazil- Roberto Mary, yes, their Brazilian driver, um, is actually actively seeking sponsorships because he's been offered the drive for the rest of the season. Now, apparently, Manor couldn't commit to any driver for the whole season because of their money woes. Um, but he's been offered the drive for the whole season. But he kind of has to find a sponsor. So maybe yeah. if we can't sponsor Manor directly, perhaps we could sponsor Mary. Maybe. I don't know who we'd go through to tie. You know what? Check on his Twitter account. I bet you I'm, can I'm reach bet, out to him. I bet, and if we can't do that, maybe Will Stevens. Yeah. See, I haven't heard whether or not Will Stevens has any sponsorship. or, And it also it kind of confuses me as to 
given their need for money as to why they signed drivers that didn't have sponsors? Or was this a, if you're willing to drive for free and get yourself a sponsor, we'll keep you? Well, I think it was much more of they had to have drivers. And they weren't committing to them for a season. It was, come drive for us for a race or two, and we'll see how this goes. Because I don't think anybody knew what they were really. Yeah, maybe. Their dominoes were so not even out of the box yet to even be lined up. Now, um, they're facing a lot of issues right now because apparently Bernie does not care for their leadership team. Yeah, and I can't quite figure, well, some of it is that Justin King, who is the chairman and CEO of the team, or I think he's just the chairman of the team, former CEO of Sainsbury's, at one point he was tapped to be or expected to be Bernie's replacement. Ooh. So somehow along, and and I don't know who tagged him as a candidate to be the replacement, but somehow along the line they have since had a falling out, and Bernie doesn't like Mr. King very much. So you got to kind of wonder if maybe that's part of the reason why Bernie is so willing to scream about them being a disgrace and all the other things. The other thing is that reading the money, and this is according to James Allen, reading how the money works, yes, they get their installments of, of what is it, 50 million pounds that they, mm-hmm. they get over the, the course of the year, but they're actually, because we're only looking at 10 cars— or, or 10 teams for the foreseeable future. As long as they run for the next three years, they're going to be in 10th. They're going to be getting that 50 million pounds every year. Correct. No matter how bad they do. But not just for the foreseeable future. Um, the way this is going to work is they get 50 million pounds because they got the point last year and came mm-hmm. out ahead of Sauber. So they get that. Now there's only 10 cars, on, 10 teams on the grid. This year, next year, we will add an 11th with the Haas Racing Team. That's right. However, Haas is restricted from winning money for the first three years. Why anybody would join a sport that says you can't win for three years, I have no idea. But really, seriously, yeah, it's, it's it, the, the logic made sen- makes no sense. So we've got three additional years that puts us to 2019. Mm-hmm. That as long as you don't wind up with another racing another team that has money winning potential in those 3 years they're looking at 5 straight years of guaranteed 50 million dollars regard 50 million pounds regardless of where they fall in the grid yeah. it, that's the bottom end they could go up from there should they accelerate Mm-hmm. You know, and with how well McLaren is doing these days, there is a possibility <laughs> that, you know, Manor McLaren could be a interesting combination. After the three years with Haas, depending on how they accelerate in their process, it will depend and if any other team drops out. So if Force India finally loses all of their money yeah. and falls out, we could still be back into that 10 mm-hmm. grid race. Clear as mud, right? Yeah, it's just – it's bizarre, that this logic of how we bring a team in. And, yeah, you can come in, but we're not giving you – and I get. You want to make sure that they're somewhat financially stable if they're going to make the plunge in. But, oh, sorry, yeah, we're just not going to pay you. I mean this was the whole reason why we lost HRT two years ago. Right. Because they were falling outside the points. They fell outside the tent, and they got no money from, from, from the, the sport. And it makes no sense. You know, the, the major team – how many times am I going to say that? <laughs> I was wondering. I was going to start a little bingo chart over here. You know, the you got sports like Major League Baseball and, and the NFL and the NHL and the NBA. They've all realized that, yes, you're going to have teams that are going to be at the bottoms of your standings. And sometimes they're going to be continually at the bottom of the standings. But they all get the chance to make some money off broadcast rights, and they all get – they may not get as much as the league-leading teams, and that's fine. But they but, all get a basic amount of income to survive. And apparently, Bernie has not learned something from Major League Baseball. The public, your fan base, they love an underdog. Mm-hmm. They really do. I'm going to tell you that across Major League Baseball, the most loyal fans in this country. It's a Cub fan. It's a Cub fan. Serious. 
There is not fair weather fanhood in the cub world. And had Bernie made concessions, had Bernie a looked beyond just the top teams and the fact that, you know, he's got Ferrari tattooed on his own butt. Um, Caterham, for example, would have been a phenomenal cub-like team. Well, other than, the, uh, other than the mismanagement. Well, okay, <laughs> ignoring the mismanagement. But if they could have kept it together, Caterham had enough history and enough drive and being a built car. Yeah. Being that kind of a thing, they could have they could have spun it that you are out there supporting a team that has no hope, and occasionally they might you know put something together when only six cars finish mm-hmm. or something like that, and that would have been phenomenal, and everybody would have cheered for Caterham. But you got to have people in the back end. You can't have a winner without losers. It's yeah. just not physically possible. And that may be my most profound statement this entire day. It could be. You'll you'll have to go rest later. I, well, I'm still recovering, and there's jet yes, lag involved. Yes, you're still on that bizarre East Coast, West Coast time zone mix thing. I think at this point I just need to sleep through all the time zones, <laughs> and I will, I will finally catch up. The next up on our list that you wanted to talk about was my friends at Williams. Yeah, you know, Valtteri Bodis came forward and said that, you know, we everybody, I think, had really high hopes for Williams this year after last year. And Valtteri has said that they're really lacking on pace. Mm-hmm. And well, we all saw that. And thank you, Valtteri, for confirming what we all saw. Well, the thing is, if you look at the standings from last week, um, the the two Williams ended up about three seconds off of each other, and almost twenty seconds behind Kimmy. Wow, Kimmy, who by the way ended up in fourth place on that race after having a puncture and ending up all the way down in last and fighting his way back up through the field to finish in fourth. By the way, do you happen to have the Kimmy clip about the safety car? I do not. Um, I didn't know there was a Kimmy clip about the safety car. Okay. So Kimmy, when the safety car came out, mm-hmm. Kimmy did not think that uh, Felipe Nasser was moving fast enough. Oh, yes, I remember hearing about that. And so he says, in only the way Kimmy can say things, can I pass these people? Because they're not even trying to catch the safety car. (laughs) I forgot all about that. It's Kimmy. Yeah. You know, he may only say 10 words a race, but they are gems. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, he pointed out that they are... They're really struggling to get the pace up. Now, granted, they were still 20 seconds ahead of Max Verstappen, who was uh, who finished in seventh. Okay, can we talk about Max for a second? Just take a side little detour about Mr. Max. You you mean the youngest ever driver to finish seventh at the Malaysian Grand Prix? The youngest ever driver to finish in the points. The youngest ever. Okay. By the fact that he is the youngest driver of F1 ever, he will always, everything he does, he will be the the youngest driver to pick his nose in the pit lane every single time. I mean, it's that kind of stuff. I know. It's ridiculous. It really is. However, I will say this. Every article that I'm reading on Mr. Verstappen is this kid is poised for greatness. That's what it sounds like. I mean, he's, Unlike cool, his dad. Under, uh, he's cool under pressure. He's doing better than his father did. Yeah. Um, but he's cool under pressure. He's got a really good sense of where he is on the grid, where he is in the race. He's using those um, carding lines when he needs to. Mm-hmm. He's scrapping it up a bit. And so, okay, I'm sorry, second race in to make seventh place? Go Max. Well, you know, it, it was an interesting um, dichotomy in the lead up to the race. BBC did this, did a story about both Toro Rosso drivers, mm-hmm. and it was it, basically following them as they headed off to get ready for Melbourne and for both of them their first ever F one race. And it was, and, and both both of them are fathers of famous racing drivers. They're sons of famous, or, or excuse me, sons of. Thank you. I was jumping ahead there. Sons of famous racing drivers. Um, But obviously, Carlos is a bit older than Max. He's like 20? Well, he's like – he's three years older than Max. So he's the the senior driver of the Toro Rosso uh, team. But 
they're headed off to the race, and the two drivers are sitting in the car. You know, they're separate cars. They don't come together, talking to each other. And Carlos is driving himself to the race. Max is sitting in the back seat being driven by his dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do find that funny. There was an interesting interview with Carlos Sainz's dad, Daddy Daddy Sainz. He's also Carlos Sainz Jr. No, he's Carlos Sainz. I believe he's a junior also. No, because that, that's what I'm about to tell you. Okay. <laughs> Is they made the comment of, are you now, are you Carlos Sainz Sr.? And with your son being junior, and he says, no, 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 I'm just Carlos Sainz. He's junior. He will always be junior until he outraces me, and then I'll have to become the senior. <laughs> <laughs> but he had a really good sense of humor about his, his son, but he's like, yeah, for right now, he's still the junior. Yeah. So, yeah, Williams has got to figure something out here, and they got to do it kind of quick. I think they will. I really do. Um, again, all the articles that I'm reading, everything that I have pieced together of the picture is how different the Malaysia circuit is from the other circuits near and around it, that it can truly be a one-off. Yeah. Um, that it, it does not necessarily become a predictor of the season. Um, which I think is a good thing. <laughs> well, that's only because you don't like Ferrari. No, I don't like Vettel. Well, you know, I I gotta say, as much as I'm I'm not a huge Vettel fan, I like him more than I like Alonso, and he's really worked to transition into this team. Mm-hmm. And everybody has said that there is probably some degree of. Ferrari's performance is attributable to the difference in work ethic and the difference in attitude between Sebastian Vettel and Fernando Alonso. Well, there's probably some of that. However, Maurizio Arriva Benny. Arriva Benny, whatever. My mouth does not do that. (laughs) Uh, Maurizio has come out and said that he believes. That his calming influence on Ferrari is what pushed them to the po- top step on the podium. Maurizio's or Seb's? Maurizio's. Uh, well, you know, he came from a tobacco company, so maybe he just walks in and go, okay, everybody, smoke break. <laughs> smoke them if you got them. Of course, you know, then they just end up being behind, but whatever. No, from from what I have heard, though, Seb has... He works a lot closer with the engineers. He's not the demanding push that Fernando was. Um, he's obviously learning to speak Italian. Um, he has what, like four words now? And all of them are grazie? Yeah. <laughs> well, at some point, I guess he was cooking pasta going into the Australia race or something like that. I don't know. But he has... Work to become a bit a bigger part of the team than I guess Alonzo has at least for the last couple of years, and and to integrate himself. Um, he was obviously as much as the statement is that the last couple of laps he was uh, rather excited. I think it may have been the other way around, considering he was singing a little. <laughs> I mean, we, we we did have this moment from Seb. Blue flag, blue flag, blue flag. You know, in in the past, he's been yelling and screaming about the the the, uh, the back markers. So this time, to, to sing a little about it, that's uh, a little different. It was, but you know, overall, hopefully, this race has it, it's put down some of the uh, the calls about uh, Mercedes is going to run away and this is going to be a boring season and and you know this is all just Mercedes. We knew Ferrari was strong after Australia. Mm-hmm. For them to turn around and have this race that they did, where they were so far ahead, and it, this wasn't a matter of as much as as much as Nico wants to say that. Well, you know, I had a bad pit that they they stacked me up, and and I came out in traffic, and all the other things that went on. The reality is, the Ferrari used those tires so much better. They did a two stop race as opposed to everybody else was expected to do a three stop race. They didn't have a chance. Well, there's that, and I think that Mercedes had – they had a fatal flaw 
um, in that they used the softer tire in Q1. And so they didn't have a spare set of softer tires to put Lewis on at the very end. I think that and, was some of it. And so they wound up with a a a choice between well-used soft tires and another set of hard tires. Mm-hmm. And they were actually the softer tire was the medium tire. But um, – I think it was a tire choice issue. Lewis even came out on the radio at one point and said, I'm on the wrong tire. Yeah, hey man, it's the wrong tire. And the response from his team was that... um, It's all we got. It's what we got. It was a choice. We made the the lesser of two evil choices. They had thought that he was going to be able to catch him by fifth lap, but I think that was a pipe dream. There there was no way. There was absolutely no way. Um, But the, the other thing is... This is the first time that a Mercedes has been passed in 18 months mm-hmm. at all that the Mercedes wasn't having a mechanical issue. Right. But one could argue, as one will, uh, you know, as one will, um, as I will, that, yes, not having a mechanical issue, but being starting out on the back foot with the wrong tires. It, it's an issue of... Had they had the right strategy, had they had the right set of tires, had they been able to pull some of those pieces together just right, could there have been a better fight? It still might have been yeah, Ferrari there would have been top, a better fight, but there was no fight, and there should have been a fight. Yeah, and I'm quite sure that we're going to see a different Mercedes coming out in China. Well, that that's the question, and, and James Allison, who's the technical director of Ferrari, this is truly his design of the car. Um, he he's really led the push on the engineering for this. He doesn't expect that the car that the team will do quite as well. Some of the theory is that the reason why the car did as well as it did is because of the heat in Malaysia allowed them to get heat into the tires better. Mm-hmm. Um which then it makes you wonder once we get these cooler races, is Ferrari gonna have problems keeping these tires warm? Which means will their performance drop off dramatically? So but as Mercedes felt the strain, and as Lewis in particular felt the strain, y- you could hear it in the radio. Things started to break down, whether it was Nico and his – and Nico was just – he sounded – he seemed completely out of it. Oh, yeah. Um, but his ask, constantly trying to ask questions about where the other cars were. He was trying to get coaching. And he did this both in qualifying and during the race, trying to get coaching from the – the pit wall, even though he, that's been banned, and he knew better than that. Um, Rosberg asks his team, tell me about the race against Vettel. And his engineer, Tony Ross, says, both of you have one more stop to make, Nico. He's on newer tires. He will push and try to close the gap. Rosberg responds, and this is where I think you're right, that he was out of it. He's not there. Yeah. Say it to me simpler. Yeah. So if he goes by me, he's won. He's beat me then. Ross says, affirm, affirm. Yeah. So I don't get what Rossberg didn't quite get about. If he passes me, he wins. Yeah, if he passes you, he wins. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, David Cothard uh, came up and said, uh, yes, Nico, that means you're still racing. Be- <laughs> there, there was – it was the the odd radio comms like that. There, It was the – quite a few times he just – he didn't seem con- – committed to passes that he was getting ready to make it just it didn't seem like he was all there well there there has been chatter that now that his wife is pregnant and also suffering with the extreme Mm -hmm. morning sickness that we talked about last week that his mind is changes i mean yeah fatherhood changes people it does. Yeah. Well, they say that Grosjean, once he had his kid, that was about the time that he settled down and his racing completely changed. Mm-hmm. So. Now, in Grosjean's case, of course, that meant that we were less crashy and well, a better driver. It, it wasn't just less crashy. He started but he became, yeah. he became a better driver because he was less crashy. He was not taking stupid risks anymore. Yeah. Um, Rosberg seems to be mellowed. Just yeah. Well, th- there's the question of whether or not it's that and whether or not it's also a degree of defeatism that's already set in. Well, everybody and their little brother is telling him that he's going to come in second to, to Lewis is not yeah. helping. But, it, you know, it wasn't just back with Nico that we were seeing 
things start to break down. Um, over on the pit wall, just Patty Lowe couldn't seem to keep his buttons straight. Yeah. Um, would you stop uh, Lewis again? I can hear you, Patty. The target is 43-2. 43-2. Okay, once again, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Now Patty is telling me I might be doing another stop. Uh, that's miscommunication, Lewis, so that was just chatter. And then it, it just it only went downhill from there. And the thing is, when Lewis is struggling, it doesn't matter where he is in a race. When Lewis is struggling, he gets snippy on the radio. Oh, yeah. And, you know, to some extent, it's kind of funny. And in others, you, you, you just start to get that idea of where things are going and how bad things are getting. And, and I think this was about the, the when things hit bottom. Forecast to catch Vettel with five laps remaining, so we need to keep this pace up. Hey, man, don't talk to me through the corners. And he just went off. Yeah. <laughs> and I want really, to buy Lewis he, the w- T-shirt that is the Kimmy quote. Yeah, just leave me alone. <laughs> me alone. I, know I know what, what I'm do. doing. Yeah. You know, it, it kind of makes me wonder, though. I, I mean, I, I get it. it it's hot. It, it's sweaty. It's, it's humid. You're driving really fast. You, you got to concentrate, but were you really about to just go off there? I mean, you've been driving for how long? You've been on that track how many times? I don't well, know. Well, now, you said you mentioned that it was hot. Lewis was full of complaints, just by the way. Well, yeah. He, he says on the radio at one point, for future reference, it would be good to try and have something to keep my steering wheel cool because it's roasting. Yeah, I heard about that one. Yeah. Yeah, there was some talk. I, I guess they, they left it out and left it uncovered, and those are black carbon fiber steering wheels. Yeah, they conduct so, heat. Yeah, it just absorbed it, and it was kind of brutal on them. But uh, in the end, Ferrari got to celebrate big timing. Mean, let's face it, this was their first win in, what, two, three years? It was a, a first win in a long time. It was only the second race with Vettel, and he stood on top of the podium. Yes, yes, great drive, great drive. Well done. Slows it down. Numero uno is back. Top class. Great drive. Ferrari is back. Ferrari is back. Fantastico, fantastico. C'è un grande Seb. And now I know all of Seb's Italian. Yes. <laughs> no, what, what I thought was, was kind of interesting is as much as they were all excited at Ferrari, that was kind of calm and mellow and relaxed. And then Seb comes on. I know. <laughs> I know. But this is where and, – and there's really nothing you can do about it. But this is where I think Formula One has a bit of a shortcoming because – Obviously, as Seb was doing that last lap, as he was wrapping up the race, there was emotion there. And you could see it the whole time through uh, at the end of that race. There was a lot of emotion there. But because of the way they sit in the car and the helmet on, you have absolutely no idea what the driver's feeling, how that driver's reacting, unless you get to hear that radio message. Yeah. And you lose a bit. And I also got to say that, Ferrari, hire a tailor and do something about Seb's race suit. (laughs) Because I was convinced that when he turned around, there was going to be the little button flap on the back. Because it looked like an old-time pair of pajamas on him. That was awful. I did wonder if it fit him before the race. That was terrible. He just lost that much weight. But, oh, that was awful. It, it, it reminded me like of a load in his shorts, too. You know, it, it kind of reminded me, if it wasn't the old-time pajamas, it was the skydiving squirrel suits. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, that was terrible. Yeah. I, you would think the Italians could could tailor something better. Yeah. You would think <laughs> that they would have, they might have a tailor in that country somewhere. Um. It's funny. You mentioned, you know, the celebration and the recognition. Mm-hmm. There was a guy, and I wish I remembered his name, who wrote an article that one of F1's downfalls is that over the years, 
we've turned it into the team sport mm-hmm. that it is. I mean, it, yeah. we're not going to argue that it's not a team sport, but that our drivers are no longer kings. And that follow this logic that we celebrate an entire team's worth of effort. And the drivers are not the international superstars that they once were. Now, one could argue that, and in this way, I think Bernie was talking about it when he said that Hamilton was a better world champion than Vettel. But his point, this this commentator's point was that in years past, Graham Hill and Jackie Stewart and mm-hmm. Ayrton Senna and... Uh, Hunt, Lauda, all of those names, they were superstars. They were kings of their sport. And you were rooting for them as a driver. And he's very pro the single helmet design because once they put their hats on, you can't see them. You can't see what they're doing. And it gives uh, the audience a connection with that person. I mean, would Jackie Stewart have been Jackie Stewart without his iconic plaid band? Around well, his helmet. You, you know, I, I think part of the, the reason is that at, or, or that the drivers have lost that degree of profile that they used to have. Is that, um, you know, in the, in the 70s and I think up in, until the 80s, racing in the U.S., when, when it came, Formula One didn't have to compete with IndyCar and they didn't have to compete with cart and champ and and nascar nascar had a much lower visibility back then and it was still the marquee race of the year in the united states was the indy 500 Mm -hmm. to some extent the indy still is but f1 doesn't participate in it anymore and i can understand why because it's an oval and an oval is not exciting and in many ways an oval it's a c- completely different engineering challenge than anything else that Formula One does. But between the decline in stature of the Indy 500, at least in the U.S., and Formula One not being a part of it, and Formula One drivers not being a part of it, and NASCAR rising to the level that it has, that's a huge mar- – and, and it's why I think Formula One struggles to some degree in the U.S., is that visibility isn't there anymore. I think that's the case. The commentator was actually talking worldwide, though. Yeah. And I think that his point was that we have focused so much on the team, this idea of team over driver, and the the technicality of the sport. The sport has become a technical sport. It has. And a technology-based sport, and that – there, it's the, the teeter-totter. If, if you have more technology, then how important does your driver become? Can you make the argument, and I'm just paraphrasing what this guy says, can you make the argument that any of the drivers on the grid in a Mercedes last year could have beaten Lewis Hamilton? Could you say that it was Lewis's superior driving or the car? Could Vettel in a Mercedes have beaten had won the championship. I think it would have been kind of interesting, but it's obviously not entirely that way. Again, let's go back to four years of Sebastian Vettel winning that title, and with the exception of one year, maybe two, Mark Webber was nowhere to be seen. Well, there was 2010 where we had in the last race four possible And Webber was one of them. Right. As was Hamilton. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that becomes the question. And maybe that's answered by the fact that we have two drivers in very, very similar, although not exact, um, cars that would say that one is better than the other. But that's your only real measure of saying, okay, the Mercedes are going to take one, two, like they did so much of last year. And Lewis is always going to be on top because Lewis, between those two drivers, Lewis is a superior driver. When you take technology out of it, you level that playing field. Yeah, but along the same lines, though, Formula One was is always going, and any kind of auto racing is always going to be a technical sport, right. especially one that does not say, "Okay, this is the spec car you run," and that's you cannot change that. Well, exactly. I mean, I'm not suggesting that we run spec cars. Please do not hear that I'm saying let's run <laughs> spec cars. 
Um, I think that that's part of the battle is to see who can get it right and who gets it wrong. You're just going to pay for it for a long time when you get it wrong. Yeah. See, you know, asterisk, see McLaren. See McLaren, see Renault Red Bull. See Renault Red Bull. Which we, we've heard some more talk about, you know, we t- what was it, last week or the week before, this possibility that uh, Toro Rosso could be sold and become a Renault uh, works team. Now, Helmet Marco, who is um, the big helmet, yeah, the the big helmet of the Red Bull team, but <laughs> um, he's the money man. Uh, he's now saying that, well, it, it's possible that we don't necessarily sell Toro Rosso, but maybe they become a bit more yellow and that become uh, a Renault title sponsored car. Yeah, I think Red Bull doesn't want to give up, A, their, their driver acceleration program, but also they don't want to give up having – they have essentially two teams on the grid. Yeah. Well, Renault feels the same way. Is, is they, they, they need to have more teams on the grid. Um, and they will, engines, yeah. yeah. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. I, I, I think that's going to be a long story that we're not, won't play out fully until the end of the year, or at least till silly season. Okay, so do you remember how Adrian Newey came out and said that Renault had provided a retrograde to the, the engine this year? And Renault said, liar, liar, pants on fire. And, you know, we don't know. No, you problem. shut up. Yes, the, the slap fight. So I read a very interesting article that discussed the token battle for engines. The, the token battle. Because as everybody thinks when we have to talk about tokens with F1. Well, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I am here to explain it as best that I understand it. So that when we're done, when you're done, we're still going to go. Well, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> All right. So the rules were written stupidly. There's slight commentary in this. The rules were written stupidly that... There were you could either lock down your engine at the beginning of the year, mm-hmm. or you could use these tokens to do continuous development throughout the year. Kind of, kind of, sort of. The, the tokens were always controlling development through the, the years through of the this year. formula. You just got fewer of them every year. Right. Well, here's the thing. Apparently, not until December had the rules been locked down as to how the token system was going to work, and. If they were going to have to relock down their engines at the beginning of the year or whatnot. So here's the gamble that Renault actually took was that they made fewer ex- advancements in their engine over the winter mm-hmm. using 20 tokens compared to 25 tokens that Mercedes used. So the argument that Renault is actually making currently in the slap fight is look, we used 20 tokens to Mercedes' 25 tokens, and we're catching up. We didn't go backwards. Well, yes and no. (laughs) Yes and no on a whole lot of that stuff there. I mean, there was – I wrote an article on the blog a little more about the controversy over the tokens and the token plan and how ridiculous that was and how it impacted McLaren. Um, take a look at that. It's it's only a couple of pages back. It's not too far. But Renault's argument, the problem that they run into, and they freely admit that the improvements that they brought to winter testing, they didn't bring with them to Melbourne. Right. So that token spend didn't really happen in Melbourne because they didn't they, – they basically rolled out an engine that was the same as what they had last year. Mm-hmm. They also, and and we had talked about this in one of our first shows, they made a conscious decision to spend fewer tokens than anybody else. And we talked about it back then. It made no sense. Right. That they basically surrendered the first four races of the season to anybody who used more tokens than them. And and I I still don't understand the logic and and why they would have done this. Well— their argument is that they needed to see how the engines were running in race speeds and that that way they could bring 
an upgrade, you know, they could spend their token and get greater performance because they were using the season as their test bed versus a wind tunnel for their test bed. Well, that's the whole point of winter testing. Okay. I mean, that's but <laughs> again, let's review. Winter testing is what yeah. seven total days? I mean, it's like it's no time it, at all. Yeah, and and the conditions can be a little odd and and I get that. Still, you're, you're turning around and, and you're handicapping your performance, um, arguably, to see what everybody else is doing. Well, there's that. And they're hoping that what their gamble is, is that they will still be able to make performance increases when everybody else is out of tokens. Yeah. And again, you also, you're gambling that you'll get it right and everybody else will get it wrong as opposed to what Reno did. F1, F1 gamble is that you'll get it right. Yeah. You know, I, I think the bottom line, though, is that this whole token system, it was, besides being overly complex, while there was some logic behind it, it was poorly conceived, it's been poorly implemented, and it's just awful. And to summarize Patrick Stewart, this is Formula One. Poorly conceived and poorly implemented? <laughs> Excellent. That's, that doesn't attract people to the, to the sport. I understand that, but it seems to be the way the FIA is choosing to run the sport. Well, it's not F- the FIA. It's Bernie and the teams. Wow. And the teams who, you know, can't decide between themselves what's better, so they'll just make these crappy decisions. Well, that's the problem with having the teams have the power. Yeah. So, yeah, it was a kind of a quiet week this week. And I think... Uh, I think everyone just kind of in shock that the, the the coronation that they expected to happen after Australia just didn't happen. And Ferrari came out of nowhere, especially after last year. Mm-hmm. And they're just kind of staggering around. Well, they don't know what to talk about right now because they had planned on spending a week talking about how Lewis was going to run away with everything. And they can't talk the about season's that. season's so boring and F1 is dying. You know, I think that the first time somebody says that it's boring... It's almost inevitable that the next race right after that is the least boring thing that happens. You mean like a certain Ferrari chairman going, this is just taxi driving and leaving two laps into the best race of the season? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, like I said, that, that kind of brings us up to the end of everything that we've got this week. Yep, I think this is going to have to be called a show here shortly. So, uh, you know, with that, uh, leave us some comments uh, over on the Facebook page. Comment on the post on the show over at uh, com. Still not up on Spotify. Maybe I'll get that done this weekend. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, we are on iTunes. You can leave us a comment over there over at Facebook. We've mm-hmm. got uh, we, – we need some activity over on the Facebook page. It's been quiet this week because nothing else was going on. We need some activity. Come on. Somebody post something. Okay. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I think we will call it a show. It's a show. It's a show.